0: This is Mike Edelhart and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of new companies, of careers, new ideas in science and technology, and sometimes even a little peek into the future. And I'm here today with one of our really most recent uh investments kiri Coe and ceo erica milchek it's great to have a chance to uh, talk
1: Ah, thank you so much i'm thrilled to be here
0: you know with you guys we had kind of a situation that happens with us pretty rarely which is that we went from meeting you to committing to you and your company almost instantly in days so it was kind of love at first sight Uh, why don't you kind of give the Quick overview of you and what it is you're doing, and then maybe we can talk more about how all that quick march from first meeting to funding uh, might have felt from uh, your side.
1: Thank you. That's very flattering to hear. We felt the same way. It was definitely a good fit on both sides. Uh, A little bit about Curico. We're all just passionate about uh, synthetic biology and how biology can be used to make safer products uh, for everyone and really democratizing sustainability. So giving affordable, sustainable, healthier solutions to the world. And the way that we do this is actually pretty much all of us at the company, with the exception of maybe two, came from biotech and pharma. And so at Curico, we engineer enzymes so that they can replace antimicrobials that are found in our everyday products, things like preservatives, which are in everything from the paint on your walls to the shampoo in your bathroom to the food in your refrigerator. And um, we thought that it was a very compelling market because everyone needs these. And we wanted to bring safer solutions to those markets. I get to work with really my best friends. So going into work is amazing every day. I have to have an alignment of interests and and marching towards the same missions and and goals.
0: Got it. Yeah, and one of the things you just said is one of the reasons why we all were so positively disposed toward you and the company, which is that sense of excitement and even love about what you're doing and who you're doing it with.
1: For us it's very much in our DNA. There are so many beautiful solutions out there, but they may never be implemented because they're not affordable and, or because there isn't enough passion to take them across the finish line when it gets really tough and you kind of come across those, those failures. And just being able to pick yourself up and keep walking through the failures is really important. And having people around you that support you through that, I think, is also very important. Failure isn't a dirty word for us. We, we just look at it as another data point.
0: One of my uh, favorite quotes is Winston Churchill, success is moving from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> sums it up. That's a perfect quote.
0: So there are products we have, and those products have preservatives, chemicals in them that are there ostensibly for useful reasons. They keep the products fresh. They keep the products mm-hmm. stable. They have some Benefit. So there are those products and there are those chemicals, and they work. Why is it important or uh, valuable to replace them?
1: Preservatives are there because if we didn't have them, our products would become contaminated with microbes. That would lead to rot and decay of the product. But most importantly, it would put the consumer in harm's way because they could get an infection from these microbial contaminants in their products. So a, a way that I like to, to talk about it or a, a good way to think about it is let's take the shampoo that's in your shower right now. You use your shampoo every single day. You open it, you close it, or maybe every couple of days, you're constantly opening and closing that shampoo bottle. But if or you Or during at it,
0: Corona once a week. And during
1: Corona, it's like, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if you notice that shampoo bottle doesn't have mold and mildew but the rest of your bathtub you can't go more than two weeks without scrubbing the mildew off the tub that's what preservatives are there for they keep your products safe so that you're not constantly exposing yourself with microbial contamination that could put you in harm's way so they're mission critical but the real issue is those preservatives are petrochemical based right now, which means when they go down the drain and end up in our waterways, they're persisting in our environment. And these petrochemicals have been linked to the proliferation of superbugs, which is a huge issue, especially given now in the current crisis that we're in, infections and and diseases is paramount and things that we need to think about. Um, Beyond that, these chemicals, a lot of them, we found them by chance. They weren't designed to be antimicrobials. They weren't designed for safety. They were designed because, well, they really weren't designed at all. They were, it's that they happen to be really good at microbial control. They haven't been through a lot of safety or, you know, long-term effects of how they're breaking down in the environment. And so we wanted to come in and take a pharmaceutical approach at solving this problem. We know that they're important. They're mission critical. Anywhere that there's water present in a product, you're gonna need a preservative because water will allow microbes to grow. But we wanted our preservatives, when they go down the drain, to fall apart into simple non-toxic materials. So we chose proteins and we're protein engineers. So we engineer these proteins to be stable when they're sitting in your shampoo bottle, but then when they go down the drain, they fall apart into simple amino acids, which are non-toxic building blocks of life. And so we think that this is a very thoughtful design.
0: And that's where the synthetic and synthetic biology comes in. So essentially, and again, I'm saying this uh, in part for anybody who's listening who doesn't do this all the time, is you've gone down to the simplest possible form of chemistry and biology that can produce the effects that's important, which is keeping the microbes down. Mm -hmm. But amino acids is as low as it gets and proteins is one step up from that. So if you can do it, way down at that level and then have these simple chemicals that are inside every cell and everybody and everybody, everything on earth, uh, then you can have the necessary effect without the environmental impact, without the secondary impacts. and, uh, And that would be a wonderful outcome.
1: This is our mantra. If there is a biological problem, there's a biological solution. So why do we keep turning to chemicals? So biological solutions, they're biodegradable. This allows us to have a much more sustainable solution for the future and keeping our waterways safe and keeping people healthy. At the end of the day, this is about keeping people and keeping the planet healthy.
0: But you're going into a world where there are great big companies making lots of money selling those chemicals. There are great bigger companies using those chemicals. How do you believe you can get that degree of change from those kinds of organizations, how are you going about
1: it? So we have some really great tailwinds working in our favor. One, the consumer. The consumer, there's been a shift to clean consumerism. so This is top of mind and paramount for most of the customers that are out there now. Two, retailer bans. So early on, the FDA, the EPA, the EU came up and started looking at these compounds and said, guys, there's not enough safety data on it. There's not enough environmental data on it. You're gonna have to start cleaning up these chemicals and fixing what's going into the bottle.
0: Yeah.
1: So the these regulatory bodies started to step in And then what happened was the retailers followed suit. And Walmart was one of the biggest retailers to make that initial push. In 2016, Walmart put out a list, kind of a safe chemical policy where they said, look, if you're formulating with these chemicals, you need to stop. We're gonna start transitioning these off the shelf. Walmart was first, they were a real trendsetter. Amazon followed suit, Target, Sephora, and now most of these major retailers in the US have enacted their own safe chemistry policies. And they're the ones who are driving this change. The fastest growing segment within the preservative market is natural preservatives. And you can really see that come across both retailer, regulatory, and CPG companies have all agreed that this is where the, the field is pushing to.
0: And there were two sort of information points from our side that drove our uh, sort of immediate enthusiasm for you and the company. One is research we've done about the rising generation, and we saw that really uh, very forcefully, which is I, the rising generation, choose products that I believe will not harm the planet into which I and my children and my children's children Are moving, we don't want to be those folks that are basically pissing in our own pool. And the second was, I think it was the weekend our guys first talked to you. I was going into the Whole Foods in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and you walk in the front door, and there on the wall inside the front door, like some sort of testament, is this giant sign that says, You will not find any of these 35 chemicals in this store. We have banned them. I was like, seriously? And then I go back to my computer (laughs) and there's my team going, we found somebody who's got a company that's going to replace this (laughs) stuff. And uh, it just seemed quite kismet-like.
1: Yeah, I I do think that the time is now. Had we started this company 10 years ago, it would have been the wrong time. And the technology that we're using is beautiful technology that's been used in industry for the last 20 to 30 years. And, you know, this type of protein engineering and enzyme engineering has already touched the laundry detergent industry. It's taken over the pharmaceutical industry. Why is it that in skincare and personal care, we're still using chemicals that we used a hundred years ago. We haven't seen new innovation in the last 70 years in this space. This field needs to be disrupted. The time is now, and consumers are ready for it. Retailers are ready for it. And you're seeing that regulators 100% support it.
0: When you started this, when you guys got together, you and your uh, little band of compatriots, did you know this was the right time? Or did you just hope it was the right time? Or did you not even think about it and just felt compelled to do it, and you found out it was the right time after you started?
1: So the reason that Curico started is it actually started from a series of FDA bans that had come out in FDA press releases. The FDA really seemed to be going after, first it was the soap industry, so consumer soap. There was a regulation that it, it simply obliterated 40% of the soap market in, in one fail swoop. There were 26 antimicrobial or antibacterial actives that were allowed in, in consumer soap. And they banned like 21 of them, 19 or 21 compounds. There are three that are left on the market. That was eye-opening. I think there were two reasons that it was so eye-opening for us internally at the team. Number one, we were like, why are these compounds still being used on the market? We all came from pharma and we come from a very, you know, safety conscious thoughtful way of how we interact with chemicals and how they interact with people um, and the environment, like in in general. So that was eye-opening to us. And then those bands just kept getting more and more aggressive. And so that's kind of what tipped us off to there's something that's happening. There's a shift from these classic chemicals where now biosolutions and biomanufacturing may actually be able to compete with the chemical industry. And an industry like personal care that has been largely chemical up until this point so that was part of it but then I'll tell you the first year that Curico was around we spent about a year just doing customer interviews before settling on what is the right market for us it was literally talking to Dozens and dozens and dozens of stakeholders in this problem, people who formulate with preservatives, the manufacturers of preservatives, um, even people in the pharma space that were making antimicrobials for drugs, just understanding the entire landscape so that we knew what market was right for us right now, because timing is so important in In technology and industry, you can have a fantastic idea, but if you don't line up the timing and the consumer interest, then you can have the best technology in the world that's not gonna get adopted. So we've spent about a year just understanding, really, what is the price that the customer will tolerate? How important is price? Is there a such thing as green premium? Not so much, we learned. (laughs) Really, these are still very cost-sensitive markets, and we have to be respectful of that, and we have to deliver a solution that's the same effect, same price point, and really in the same modality that the customer is interested in. And that informed how we developed our technology. And we're still learning. We're not done. We're still doing customer interviews and learning from all of the stakeholders every single day.
0: We see that very rarely. Uh, Very rarely this early do we get companies, uh, founders, teams who are, we've got it, we get the science, but we went and did all this work because it's not about us. It's about the rest of the world. And we have to fit in to an existing market before we can change it. And we have to understand our buyers and actually offer them something they're prepared to buy on economics they're familiar with. And the, the science, the sort of pursuit of truth, And the pragmatism that you guys showed on day one, uh, we see very rarely a right place, right science, right point of view, uh, and even the right attitude. In other words, you're talking about still learning. I suspect we'll find out. But I suspect Mm -hmm. if it turns out something you guys believe today turns out to be fundamentally wrong, you'll recognize it, respond to it, and work hard to come up with something that's not wrong.
1: I will tell you, we have been fundamentally wrong multiple times. And we're (laughs) lucky in that the customer is not shy about telling us. Um, And you just have to check your ego at the door, which can be difficult, especially when you believe so passionately in something. There is one other thing that I would say was absolutely critical through all of this, which customers kept that journey with us and which ones we're no longer talking to. And If there's one piece of advice I can give to other entrepreneurs or anyone else that wants to play in a space that's not already using a new technology, it's when you talk to a customer, tell them exactly where you're at in that moment and say, but this is where we started and the amount of time it took us to get here. And what we wanna do is we wanna continue to share updates with you so you see and you can track our progress over time. And it's really obvious to do that with investors, but you don't usually think about doing that with the customers that transparently. And that's what builds a really good relationship and gets them comfortable with the technology because they can see, okay, here's where we are today. Unambiguously, here we are. But where we started just two months ago was here and six months before that was way over here. And so those are the trend lines. We're going to come back to you in another two months, another three months (laughs) and let you see the continuation of these trend lines. Young companies, you don't have history and data and you have to show those trend lines in a short period of time and really clearly communicate the value. And so one of the relationships that we have that I would say is one of the strongest relationships. They came to the table and said, it's not where your technology is. It's where we see the technology going and how it fits into our pipeline and portfolio and how you can have impact in other areas, even though we weren't playing in those areas yet. You know, give them the canvas and kind of the starting point and let them take right. over. Let them paint from there. Yep.
0: So We go on for hours like this, I think, uh, but we got to end up at some point. So just one question to wrap it up. What's the big worry? It's three o'clock in the morning. And your eyes suddenly pop open and your heart's racing and you're breathing fast. What was it that woke you up? What's the dark of the night here for you now?
1: I think a lot of it, and it's top of mind for everyone right now, the COVID, the COVID delays. And what does normal look like at the other end of this? We're trying to be flexible and we're trying to ride with it and just see the opportunity through it. But there have been a lot of changes in how we how we approach science, how we approach each other, how we're interacting with our team. Like, we're, we're a startup. Everyone's worried about money in the markets right now. I would say all of these things, COVID is very much top of mind, even though COVID has brought opportunities that we didn't know existed pre-COVID. So from a, from a customer standpoint and strategics, we've, we've definitely witnessed new opportunities but we also witness a lot more challenges than we ever saw in the past. And keeping the team's morale high, keeping on walking through it, and just not knowing what three months from now is going to look like is hard. It's hard to plan for, and it's hard to keep the team moving toward a common goal when we don't quite know where the finish line is and what the finish line looks like. And if we're going to be wearing a mask when we arrive at the finish line, you know, these are very real things for us.
0: Yep. Uh, It's hard to include the analysis of an event that's never happened before. (laughs) I think the one thing about that that we're resonating with over here is a a comment I heard a few weeks ago that the impact of this isn't going to be a dislocation of the future, but an acceleration. It's going to pull some elements Mm -hmm. of the future radically forward. We're seeing changes in care that we thought might happen on a five-year event horizon happening this year. We're seeing behavior changes around things like having control over your own food supply that we felt that's got a lot of potential. We're we're down with that. We're in, but we're seeing that company suddenly vault to profitability because there are a lot of folks out there who are like, this matters to me now in a way I wouldn't have thought without COVID. Yeah, we're going to have a future and we're going to have a less constricted future than right now, but it isn't going to be a straight line extrapolation of where we were a few months ago, for sure. Great to talk to you. You know, we've never actually met face to face, or not.
1: we haven't. It was
0: right at right at that COVID moment. So <laughs> this is great. But I look forward uh, uh, enormously to the opportunity. Uh, hopefully soon. Uh, look forward to getting a chance to work with you and meet the whole team.
1: Us too. Thank you so much.